0: Over the last three volatile years, procurement has become one of the most important functions within organisations, playing a critical role in determining business resilience. The COVID-19 pandemic and cumulative geopolitical and macroeconomic crises have fundamentally challenged long-held expectations of an increasingly interconnected world. Whilst change is a guarantee, uncertainty has become the norm and procurement continues to be in the midst of it all. To understand how senior leaders view procurement's place in the enterprise, Economist Impact, sponsored by SAP, conducted a survey of 500 C-suite leaders in January to February of 2023. The results of that survey were distilled and discussed in the recently published Economist Impact report, Decoding Confidence in the Procurement Function. Welcome to Asia Perspectives by Economist Impact. My name is Elizabeth Mackey, and in this podcast episode, we'll dive into the opportunities these changing global dynamics are creating for procurement. This podcast is supported by SAP. The opinions of the guests are their own, and editorial control remains with Economist Impact. To provide their valuable insights on this topic, I'm joined by three procurement experts. Barbara Farouk, the Senior Vice President and Head of Market Strategy at SAP Procurement Solutions. Kelly Barner, partner and head of content and operations at The Art of Procurement, and Alan Day, the CEO and founder of State of Flux. Welcome all, and thanks for joining me. Now we've seen global shocks and disruptions in a variety of shapes and forms in recent years, but we're at least expecting to see inflation begin to taper this year. Our 2023 survey found that the C-suite cited inflation as the top reason behind the emergence of cost and risk management in procurement. The Economist Intelligence Unit is also predicting that central banks around the world will continue to tighten monetary policy until late 2023 as they attempt to try and get inflation under control. I'd like to discuss how we're seeing this impact procurement. Barbara, what are your thoughts on this?
1: Hi, Liz. So thank you Thank you for having me. First of all, I appreciate the opportunity to be, be speaking on the podcast. And it's a great question, I think, um, particularly because inflation is somewhat new of a problem for leaders to be dealing with at least in the g7 countries and um, you know given the fact that inflation has been under control for so many years and interest rates have been stable and low in most of the developing world for several years um, cost control has always been at the forefront of procurement it's always been something that procurement leaders are measured on it's the mandate that the c-suite has on procurement But procurement always has ambitions to go above and talk uh, about more than just cost savings and and metrics around cost savings. That sort of principle and that desire has been jolted by the sudden rise in inflation that has occurred over the past two years in the world. Um, And all of the discussions that we're seeing now are focused heavily on trying to put costs under control or at the very least being able to put organizations in a position where they can predict how costs will be impacting their business from the dynamic nature of what supply chains are handing out. So in terms of the data uh, in the survey that was conducted, it was very interesting and very telling that for the longest time, um, the number one focus of procurement organizations would be on user experience. Um, this itself was something that was a recent trend, started about five, six years ago, where user experience became a very, very critical junction for procurement organizations. Last year, when we did the survey, that was the number one factor that uh, that uh, executives were citing as, uh, as the driver for digital transformation procurement. Interestingly, that this year has been overtaken by spend visibility, looking at, being able to look at where the money is going, how it's being spent across, you know, was, I don't believe it was even in the top three last year, and it's now the number one driver for digital transformation. And I think at the heart of it, it goes to the fact that the uncertainty that has come from the, the sudden uh, rise in interest rates uh, and the sudden rise in inflation has everyone concerned about not only how we're going to get current costs under control, But how is it that I can best predict what the future holds um, in, in, in this world of uncertainty?
0: I think it'll be interesting to track those drivers of digital transformation over time. Kelly, what's your take on this?
2: It's, of course, been an exceptionally interesting period of time. And part of what has made it so interesting is just how much uncertainty there is Traditionally, procurement has created value for the enterprise by taking relatively known demand and leveraging it strategically, either using volume to drive down pricing or using volume to create an innovation-based relationship with, with key suppliers. But what we have right now is a situation where the visibility horizon has shortened and slightly less scientific, but no less important to a decision-making or strategy development perspective, is the fact that while the visibility horizon has pulled in, the confidence horizon has pulled in even a little bit further. So while the data that we have from the past is less effective in a predictive sense, patterns have been disrupted, there's also the secondary element, both within procurement and also within business decision-makers that they're not willing to make the same type of commitment around either time of contract or around volume of demand going to a certain supplier. We need to make a little more creative approach to how we control those costs. In some cases, we can do it by partnering more closely and more strategically with suppliers. But in other cases, we need to look at alternate buying models and ways of securing both services and products so that we're being aware of the macro conditions that we're playing inside of, and we're constantly
0: monitoring those changes. Some really interesting points there, I think, around how we use data. Alan, if I can come to you next, what are your thoughts on the impacts for procurement?
3: For a long time, we've seen um, procurement working in a deflation environment. And if you think about it, a lot of the current procurement are. Uh, uh, leaders have grown up in that sort of environment so this is new for a lot of them uh, and it's it's certainly changing approach to to how they 're looking at um, how they 're running their functions how they 're training their people uh, and how they 're managing their supplier relationships i think for for me and and we specialize in the supplier relationship side of things we're seeing a, a, a big uptake. In the reckoning of um, the importance of having strong collaborative relationships with suppliers during an inflationary period, both from a cost management point of point of view, so we're seeing collaborative cost out programs uh, becoming uh, a big norm. Uh, but we're also we also know, and and certainly we've seen it in our research, that over eighty percent of organisations are using the relationship to get through supply chain disruptions, uh, so managing continuity of supply. So we can see that in the relationship side, uh, but we can also see a, a big push in terms of cost.
0: It does sound, from what you've said, that there are also some opportunities here for procurement. What do you think those opportunities are?
3: Oh, absolutely, Liz. The number one complaint on procurement's kind of lips was that we didn't get attention. We need a seat at the table, meaning that we needed to be part of the executive-level discussions. Now we have a seat at the table. There's been a number of factors, inflation being one of them, but of course, um, environmental impacts uh, with with COVID and, and the Euro- Ukraine challenges. Um, so we have the seat at the table. The key part now is how do we make sure that we make an impact so that we stay at the table and clearly cost out as one, but doing what we used to do isn't good enough. So just being, being a buying group um, and running RFPs is, isn't where we need to be. We need to be running and managing the extended enterprise. So recognising that suppliers and the supply chain are as much of your organisation as the magic that you do on a day-to-day basis within the within the organisation. So for me that that shift from being a buying organisation to managing the extended enterprise is critical uh, for procurement's longevity really.
0: So now that procurement is at the table, let's explore what's needed for procurement to stay at the table and relevant to the business. Can I get your take on this, Barbara?
1: Well, I think procurement has the attention of the C-suite. I think businesses and leaders and businesses are looking at procurement to help solve this problem of uncertainty around bottom line. Um, and, and that means that a lot of the initiatives that procurement leaders have wanted to do for a long time in their businesses, and they could be technology-related, they could be process-related, they could be people-related... I'll give one example. Category management, and we spoke about this in the survey as well, has been a focus for several years um, and is now getting a lot more attention from across the different leaders and businesses as something that if it was to become digitized, if you could digitize that and you can properly plan for how a specific category strategy can be digitized and monitored and the data around that be monitored in real time, Then you can really provide powerful insights for how decisions should be made. Um, That's always been very theoretical, uh, but the tools to make that a reality exist now. Now is the time to try to um, bring those initiatives to reality.
0: Yes, we're certainly seeing that procurement is in the limelight at the moment, and that there's a push for change underway in the function. Now, I do want to take a slight pivot uh, when looking at these challenges, and I want to pivot towards geopolitical tensions. We know that geopolitical risk associated with shocks, including war in Ukraine and and the US-China trade tensions, continue to shape supply chains and the ability of a company's procurement function to work effectively and efficiently. And this was also apparent from the results of this year's survey, where we saw 29.6% of the C-suite prioritising supply chain visibility to manage those organisational risks. The Economist Intelligence Unit is also predicting that with no end in sight to war in Ukraine, Businesses will continue to structure their supply chains as far from the conflict as possible. In that context, 2023 is set to have a greater focus on existing trade and investment relationships, with a rise in friendshoring. Now, I do want to dive into that a little bit further. Let's start with you on this one, Kelly. Can you tell us a little bit more about how these geopolitical tensions are impacting procurement?
2: Absolutely. So, from my perspective, a visibility horizon is something concrete you can either predict reliably so far into the future, or you can't. You can either see so many tiers into your supply chain, or you can't. A confidence horizon is a little bit less precise and a little bit more emotional. And I think where this is important around our perceptions of risk really comes down to news coverage of the different types of geopolitical events that you described. We just need to be aware of how the dynamic of that media coverage affects us. But the other point that you made is around the C-suite understanding the importance of supply chain transparency and visibility. And this is one of those areas where procurement can have such an enormous impact. And of course, selfishly speaking, we can have an enormous impact around something that's of great importance to the CEO, the CFO, the COO. What we need to do is understand the specific risks that are of greatest importance, I do know that one of the primary areas of concern for CEOs especially is cyber risk. And this is something that's been peripheral to procurements risk assessments in the past, but we haven't maybe delved quite as deeply into it as we have the opportunity to. These first-tier suppliers are incredibly critical. We're going to figure out what their cybersecurity protocols are, and then we're going to start having conversations with them just about maybe financials and cybersecurity understanding into their supply chain. So we can't understand all risks in all places at all times. We'll never get off the launch pad. But if we really target our efforts around areas that are important to the business that we know impact our ability to generate revenue and focus there, take it one step at a time, that's where procurement can start to step-by-step step build out that transparency, centralize it so that all decision-makers, especially our friends in the C-suite, can leverage it in is close to real-time at any point. And we have the opportunity to impact that risk. And so, yes, being aware of all of these macro factors, understanding what we can impact and where we can't, so what, sh- what visibility is actionable and what is where everybody in an industry or a given geography is going to be impacted and we need a different kind of mitigation strategy. But then, of course, figuring out what those priorities are, investing our time and treasure and effort there, and then working with the C-suite to make sure that we're making more strategically pinpointed changes that have a larger impact at the end of the day. That's how we can use the resources and the information that we have to invest in that transparency and risk.
0: Alan, how do you think geopolitics are shaping supply chains?
3: Well, f- firstly, there's there's a huge push around continuity of supply, and and then that flows through to uh, where where does new supply come from, uh, and then equally at the same time there's there's pressures around uh, let's face it, buying local, using diverse and inclusive suppliers, that sort of thing. So. Um, Never before has procurement had more on their plate to, you know, it's no longer about buying something. All of a sudden, it's making sure that the organisation's risks managed. It's making sure that we understand the supplier as well as they understand themselves, uh, and so on. So that geopolitical change has really changed the whole landscape of procurement. I'm seeing a big change in terms of the calibre needed, because um, no longer can you thump the table uh, and hope for a good result. You, you actually have to work collaboratively with your suppliers to to solve these these problems. But um, yeah, certainly org- organisations are, are changing their approach to move um, their their supplier from not just Ukraine, but from other conflict regions as well, so that they're more flexible and then equally more sustainable as well.
0: And turning to Barbara now, what are your thoughts on this?
1: And I think creating an enormous amount of uncertainty on what decisions should be made in terms of where supply should be sourced. Um, and I think a lot of the things that procurement has done for the past 25, 30 years in terms of diversifying the supply chain and chasing down and making sure that as, as efficient and as cheap as possible have come into question. Um, and that's not easy to untangle, right? So to sort of say that, you know, we're going to rework the supply chain back to what it was 30 years ago. It's probably extremely expensive. It's going to be inefficient. And, and many of the second, third, fourth tier suppliers that need to be in place to enable that um, don't exist anymore. So there is some fear about if this trend continues, and if there really is a push to get back to uh, some of the norms that were changed intentionally, uh, you know, as globalization expanded in the early 2000s and in the early 2010s. Do we even have the tools and the mechanisms and the and the economic structures to get back to that point? And I believe the answer is no. But what is happening? I guess you know, we always have to look at things you know, in terms of what opportunities we can derive from here. You mentioned friend-shoring. It's a really or a near-shoring. These are terms that are that are being used now to describe it. There are potential opportunities uh, that because of the government dynamics and the, the geopolitical dynamics that exist, you know, places that would not have been um, ideal before to have um, trade relationships with could really be, you know, Opportunities worth exploring now, right? So maybe it's not so much um, China anymore, but it could be other countries in the area which have friendly relations uh, with with the G7, and and you know that sort of idea of friendshoring can be explored. So from my perspective, you know procurement should be opportunistic about and realistic about this challenge. But I do think that there is a very real possibility to say, okay, well the next plant we make or the next supplier we choose is going to come from a country where there's um, a positive trending relationship between our governments rather than one where there's, there's uncertainty. Use it as an opportunity for expansion, but I don't think it's the means by which you rework the entire supply chain. Not, not yet at least. At other companies, the procurement office may sound a lot like this.
0: Five system, 20 spreadsheets, these numbers are right.
1: But your office sounds like this. Analytics show a change here will save money now. That's because your team is using SAP Ariba Solutions for full visibility into your spend and suppliers. So instead of this, you have a unified view of all your business's spend categories on a single automated dashboard. Visit sap.com spend to learn more.
0: I think we're also seeing more mature supply chains and they seem to be taking a combination of the just-in-time and just-in-case approaches. In some instances, we're also seeing duplication of entire supply chains for critical products and services across different countries and regions. Now, I just want to expand a little bit more on what you were just saying in relation to digitization. Are we seeing these all as physical supply chains or are we seeing a greater shift to digital supply chains?
1: So I certainly think that, you know, the digitization of supply chain and making sure that supplier collaboration becomes more and more digital across the board, across the entire manufacturing process, right? Whether it's the actual purchasing or the forecasting or the inventory management or the actual trade and the the trade documents themselves is is something that's long overdue. Uh, COVID sort of, I think, has helped accelerate that uh, and the effects of COVID have helped accelerate that. And the benefits of that can really be realized given, given the you know the uncertainty in the world right now. So if you are going to go ahead and say we're going to mirror supply chains in for critical products, that really really requires efficient processes and systems to be in place. Otherwise, you're spending a lot of money trying to do that and a lot of effort trying to achieve that outcome. So I think in 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 in, in some cases it is a validation about why digital digitizing that experience is imperative and necessary. And we're seeing that um, for critical supply and we're seeing that for goods and services um, occur as well.
0: That said, it sounds as if organizations haven't quite figured out what these digital supply chains might actually look like. Kelly, what are your thoughts on supply chains becoming digital in the future and how do we get there?
2: They have to become more digital going forward. And I think they have to become digital in ways that we haven't thought about in the past. So we're doing an okay job with data, at least gathering it in most companies' cases. There are quality issues everywhere. Somebody had said to me at one point, and it stuck in my head, there are two different kinds of companies. There are companies that have data quality problems, and there are companies that know they have data quality problems. So This is not something that anyone has mastered. And as data keeps getting not only created anew, but created anew in larger and more complex volumes than ever in the past, it's also an issue that's never going to go away. And so I think we need to change our mindset around data quality and certainly leverage digital tools in order to do that. But I also think one of the things we learned from the pandemic, which was very hard, but I think it was a valuable lesson, is that Things we thought we had digitally transformed were sort of half-baked. It really is an opportunity for companies as a whole, and, and this is beyond the supply chain, because there are so many other things that factor in here. Regardless of function, there really does need to be both one system of record that everyone looks back to so that we're all pulling from the same information well, we also need to be speaking the same language about that data. And so that's where everyone interpreting things in the same way, having access to the same analytics, is going to ensure that if we're all starting from the same data, which is hopefully the best quality we're able to provide given the circumstances and the time available, is also motivating a common understanding about the state of the
0: state. It's interesting that you speak about the need for a common language, particularly as the survey results show us that collaboration across different organizational functions is really challenging. How do you think that factors into the move to digital?
2: All of these groups need to be advocating. You know, it's funny, we we for a long time have talked about cross-functional collaboration and why can't everybody just agree and get along? I think as long as everyone is constructive and respectful and again, pulling from the same data We shouldn't all get along. We we should all be advocating for the thing that we know best and then have a group decision based on all of the information. Now, in order to act on that information, that's where some of the other digital investments need to be. We need to be looking at modeling. We need to be looking at places to embed AI. And I don't mean the cutesy chat GPT have it you know, write an email to suppliers for us in the voice of a pirate. As fun as that is, it's not actually going to help our business be more profitable or, or be more risk resilient. And so further investments in process digitization is important. Is there friction for users at any point in the process? Are people confused about where to go for information or what the right source of information is? You know, looking at the way... We use digital to help people do what they do best at a high level, company-wide, and then boiling that down into each of the functions, making sure everyone has what they need, but making sure it comes back. The very best intentions can sometimes lead to the biggest problems. And so being aware of, just like with our supply chains, first and second tier suppliers, first and second tier digital providers what are our backup strategies, what's our, our system of record, uh, looking at those things digitally on a functional and also at a corporate level uh, and constantly refreshing. It's a job that's never going to be done, just like data quality. I think that's going to make the difference between market leaders and average market players in the years to come.
0: Thanks, Kelly. And now to Alan. Are you seeing a move towards digital supply chains?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, f- there's a huge shift from from not just physical supply chains, but the—I don't know if it's a term—but the serviceization of supply chains. So, no longer buying products, but buying services from suppliers. And we, we saw that in the kind of IT space, but it, 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 it's becoming more and more prevalent where you know people don't just buy a physical product; they they, they get the service wrap around it as well. Um, And then the digitization of that, you know, digital is weaving its way into everything. uh, And that goes hand in hand with that kind of servicization uh, piece. So I'm I'm definitely seeing that. Um, I am seeing some duplication of supply chains for critical items, but I'm probably seeing more just a... a, um, you know, a kind of more considered approach around how they're looking at stock holdings, um, how they're working collaboratively with suppliers uh, to make sure that those those continuity of supply issues are, are, are remedied. The other thing that I'm, I'm seeing, which is kind of interesting, because if you stand back and you look at supply chain risk, there's three things that you could do with it. You can improve it. Um, so that may be duplicating your supply chain or having backup suppliers. You can live with it, and generally that will be about training your team to notice for kind of early warning indicators and things like that, and I can come back to that. Or well, the last piece is you can insure against it, and we are seeing people like Aon coming up with supply chain insurance, supply chain disruption insurance um, for that. So so we, we're definitely seeing kind of more mature approaches around, the, around that supply side.
0: You've just touched on one of my favourite trade terms, the servicification of goods and products. Now, I've heard you speak about the extended enterprise before. So thinking of that concept and the context of this discussion, what does the future of supply chains look like for the next three to five years?
3: Yeah, I mean, really good question. I think kind of going forward in the in the future of supply chains, you know, some recognition of how we're going to get those people brought into our kind of goals, objectives, you know, part of the team. You think of all the effort that goes on internally in an organisation around what an HR department works on, around getting people excited about goals and objectives and aligned to that. We do none of that work on people that work for us, but via a supplier. So I can see over the next five years, a big focus on that. I mentioned the term extended enterprise. Um, and so a big focus on the kind of people and the alignment of that and a recognition that procurement actually needs to move to managing those those kind of people and suppliers. Um, I see far more service of service citation, I can't say it now, uh, which, of course, puts more people in the supply chains. And then, uh, you know, I can only see digitization growing. Baba, what's your take on this? I think supply chains will
1: continue to become more and more digital. I think all the players that are involved in that make trade happen, so that's the importer, the exporter, right? the supplier, the buyer, right? And I think uh, digital experiences will be key in terms of allowing companies conduct business in the most efficient manner possible, um, you know, given all the uncertainty that exists right now. So that's one thing that I think the the continuous move to digitization across the board uh, for supply chains will end up will will continue. I think you'll end up hopefully seeing interest rates, um, you know, settle and inflation settle later this year and early next year. Um, last year we were talking about supplier shortages. Now, we have a glut of supply in most of the categories that we were talking about supplier shortages last year. So, you know, mm-hmm. while it's a very pressing problem for today, you know, I do think that the uncertainty in price will end up calming down and relaxing and give give procurement leaders and leaders in general a chance to breathe a little bit of a sigh of relief as we look, you know, two, two three years down the road. Um, the, the big uncertainty I really is around the war in ukraine and the geopolitical tensions with china that 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 i think is is definitely the scariest thing when we talk about supply chains and how they will end up evolving because it's very difficult to predict if that's going to get any better but i do think that a stabilization of inflation is going to help calm some of the nerves right now and i think a further move to digitization uh, is going to help businesses cope with the challenges that are ahead
0: sounds as if there are some glimpses of positivity within the uncertainty. I'd like to take one final pivot to touch on ESG. We're seeing an increase globally in ESG-related regulation as governments, regulators and civil society demand greater transparency and accountability. And we saw in the survey results that 25% of the C-suite listed ESG as a top organisational priority. Kelly, How are we seeing this impact procurement and what do you think the opportunities are?
2: I'm really glad this is coming into this conversation. It's it's an incredibly important topic, but I want to acknowledge right up front, it's also a really hard topic. And so looking at your why, I mean, it's one of those basic things when you start a program like ESG, what is our why? Let's articulate our mission. What are our business objectives? The reason that's important now is because as the economy and as risk levels force us to focus our time and effort in certain areas, we have to stay true to the external commitments that we've made. And so that why is important. Did your company start an ESG program or a sustainability program or a diversity program? It's all sort of interchangeable because you're regulated okay, well, that's one burden of effort versus if you started it because you recognize it has a lot of impact with your target customer. It also comes into this whether your company is B2B or B2C. You know, The backlash can be extreme if customers that don't spend a lot of money but feel some type of relationship with your brand, and there are a lot of customers, if they feel that you have violated a commitment that you made through your ESG program, they're not interested in inflation. They're not interested in the geopolitical risk you're dealing with. Frankly, they don't even care about your working capital position. They're going to say, I'm a consumer. I've been loyal to this brand for 20X years. You violated what you told me. I'm upset by this. I have the opportunity to switch. There are more alternatives available than ever before. Winning that person back and trying to hold or expand market share in an environment like that is very difficult for any company to overcome. And so what I would say is in these challenging times, look back at the public statements that were made. What did you promise to do? If for any reason you cannot do that, be as transparent as you are trying to be internally. Make a statement, handle it appropriately. I would also caution companies against anything that even smells of greenwashing. Looking like you have a good game versus having one, be very careful of anything that appears like you're taking more credit than you deserve to have. Alan, what are your
0: thoughts here?
3: So I'm, I'm smiling, Liz, because 20, nearly 20 years ago, I wrote a paper for the UN about how large organisations should be using their buying power to drive kind of sustainable buying practices and sustainability down the supply chain. Um, and it's finally kind of coming through where, where what I'm really keen to see and, and I think we're starting to see is that those large organisations are driving... Um, you know, ESG standards down into their supplier base, led by you know a few things. Sort of modern slavery has been been one at the kind of forefront, but we're now starting to see the kind of carbon sides being pushed. Um, I mean, we you touched on transparency. That's a given. I think that's only going to get more and more uh, of a requirement that that organisations need to know. Not only what is in their products and services, but who's been making it and how have they impacted the lives of those people that are making it. Um, so, so you know, if if you think of procurement, and I come back to that extended enterprise concept, you you know they are no longer buying; they have to manage all of those kind of risk elements, the ESG and sustainability elements. And the one that we haven't touched on is innovation and how they need to be a conduit for harnessing, attracting and harnessing innovation. So I mentioned customer of choice, um, but, but that has got to be one of the key measures for a procurement function.
0: There's certainly a lot of change on the way. My final question for you all today is if you had one thought to leave the listeners with, what do you think is needed for procurement to successfully navigate the uncertainty of these global disruptions?
2: Kelly? I truthfully think improved communications. This is a time when we need to invest in our, in our soft skills and how we use them. We need to be doing a better job communicating with the C-suite. We need to be doing a better job communicating with distributed buyers and budget owners. We need to be doing a better job communicating with suppliers and even the end consumer. Just because we're in procurement doesn't mean we don't have an obligation to communicate in various ways with the company's customers. But I will say, for all of that communication that I think we need to do better, the biggest thing we need to do better is listen. That communication has to be two ways. We have to be validating that we've heard the core message in each exchange because all the data in the world and all the digital investment in the world and the lowest risk levels and the least carbon emissions and the most diverse suppliers, if we're not all working together and understanding each other, even when we differ, there's absolutely no way for a company to improve their competitive position.
0: Alan?
3: Well, look, um, I'm a bit biased because we, we, although we do cover some procurement, our, our core focus is around supplier management. And from our annual survey, only 9% of organisations are what I would call a, a, an SRM leader. So, you know, that's from 3,000 organisations, only 9% of them uh, make, the, make what we would call the grade to be an SRM leader. Um, and that's appalling. Uh, and if you think of the benefits, I talked about customer of choice, but but continuity of supply, risk reduction, access to innovation, that sort of thing. So my challenge to procurement is if you think you're good at managing supplies, you probably aren't, um, and it's time to re-look at it. It's time to actually stand back, measure whether you are a customer of choice, and measure whether what you have in place – not just in procurement, but across your organization, is working and is leading practice because, you know, ninety one percent of you it's not.
0: And Baba?
1: Well <laughs> there's there's things you can control, there's things you cannot control, right? I mean, to some extent cannot control what's going on with price increases and inflation. We just know and hope that, that it will end up calming down and relaxing as we're seeing a lot of institutions sort of report, including the economist. We know we cannot control, um, you know, what's going to happen with these large geopolitical conflicts, right? So as business leaders, what can we do? We can, what we can do is we can make our processes as efficient as possible. And the path to doing so is to embrace digitization. Uh, and I think, you know, the time is now to try and leverage those, leverage that opportunity to deliver those results to make, you know, what you can control as efficient as possible, um, you know, uh, and, and therefore leaving your organization best suited to deal with the challenges that you cannot control.
0: Sounds to me like a bit of a call to action from all of our speakers. There is a lot that we can cover here, but unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. A big thank you to Barbara, Kelly and Alan for their time and insights. And thank you to the listeners for tuning into the Opportunities for Procurement in Uncertain Times podcast sponsored by SAP. For further information on the Procurement Imperative program, head to impact.economist.com forward slash projects forward slash the dash procurement dash imperative. Thank you and goodbye.